0: Welcome to the show. Mandy Murray has lived one of the most random collections of places, Utah, Florida, a private island in the Bahamas, North Carolina, and Montana. Along the way, she managed travel and carried the torch for the 2002 Salt Lake City Olympics, wrote a book, and has been a food critic. Bottom line, if there is a travel or hospitality job, especially an unusual one, Mandy has done it. During the pandemic, Mandy went from owner to general manager to executive chef of the hotel she owned with her spouse. And after selling last year, Mandy has embarked on a new chapter in which she works as a hospitality coach or other owner-operators of independent properties. Today, Mandy and I are going to talk about trends, trips, and maybe even tricky ghosts. But before we do, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me a voice memo to 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Amelia. And here's what Amelia has to say. I am a new owner operator of a small 24 room inn how much should I be working in the operation and how can I best support my staff? And then she says, which is very small. Obviously, you're the perfect person to answer this question, Mandy. What do you think? What are your suggestions for her?
1: All right, Amelia. So we had a 23 room hotel, which is just about the same size that you did. So this is absolutely perfect. Working and operating, how much time do you want to put in? That depends, right? do you have a general manager? Do you have an office manager or like front desk manager that's managing the day to day? Because if you do not, you're going to be putting in more time because you have to have that level of management um, to oversee and to support your staff. I don't know your numbers, um, but I can imagine, you know, you have, you have to have somebody there at the front desk every morning. You have to have somebody through the day and somebody at night. So, are you doing any of that um, or are you managing that? Because, you know, honestly, I would tell, I would tell everybody, you're still gonna be putting in 40 hours a week, whether you're taking over a shift at the front desk or or you're or you're not there. But it also depends on who your management is. Do
0: you have anything to add to that? I do. I think one thing I would add is that you have to figure out how it pencils in your financials. So if you don't take a role in the day-to-day operation and you have to charge a rate that far exceeds your competition in order to cover for that, that's probably not going to be a sustainable business move. So there's definitely some math that needs to go into answering this question too. But in general, if I were in Amelia's shoes, I would want to work every position in the end... Because I would never want to be stuck not knowing how something worked in the business that I owned. But that just may be because I'm a control freak.
1: I went around from department to department and every single week kind of put my head in somewhere else because you want to know what's going on. There's so many factors into staffing and how much you should be working, but 100% get in every department um, all the time
0: you have been thinking about the factors of hospitality for probably a lot longer than anyone would know if they met you because your career in travel and hospitality began when you became a travel agent at age 16. How on earth did that happen?
1: Yeah, it's such a funny story.
0: So we, I took my first flight at 10. And
1: I knew I was going to travel. I just knew it. And so in high school, we had the opportunity to do a two-year program that was associated with the university. So basically, it was like getting an associate's through high school. And I said, I'm absolutely going to do this. Well, lucky for me, I had a neighbor that lived two doors down that was a travel agent. And so she brought me
0: on. That's really cool. And so were you doing things like mostly answering phone calls or meeting with people face to face or how did it work? Right,
1: so it started out as she's like I'm going to teach you how to um how to call the tour companies and you know at the time we were still booking airfare, right? <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's I mean, I remember right. it for sure. And get, you know, getting commissions and having to issue like refunds with like these paper things and like sliding. I don't know. It was crazy. uh, (laughs) 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 Um, but so it started out as like, I'm going to teach you how to call and get quotes and do this and talk to people. And then, slowly slowly she taught me like of course i started answering the phone which was at 16 like it's intimidating um you know like what am i doing here so yes answering phones talking to tour companies and then actually sitting down i actually got to start sitting down face to face with clients and helping them plan itineraries and i remember planning overwater bungalows um in uh I think it was the Cook Islands. And it was just like, I was like, I am going to go here. I'm going to do this. And it just like continued this love for like, I'm going to travel.
0: <laughs> I love that. When you were owner operator at the Snowbird Mountain Lodge in Robbinsville, North Carolina, you had to jump into every aspect of the business, I think, especially during the pandemic. And you ultimately took on the role of executive chef. Talk about why that happened and how did you know what to do?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, um, it was definitely, I was thrown in. It was during the pandemic, um, as we all experienced staffing issues were, were extremely tough. Um, we had, you know, we, if you know where Robinsville, North Carolina is, it is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, and finding staff is hard. So we housed a lot of employees and, you know, finding the right people to come on property. Um, also not to, um, you know, like we would, it was a pandemic. People were just kind of over hospitality. They were over the kitchen. And so literally I'm not joking when one day someone quit and I woke up and all of a sudden I'm going to be making breakfast and I am not a trained chef. I have not been to culinary school, but I have a lot of friends that have. So I was just like, I'm going to do this. And I had, we had a full house. We had 46 guests and I literally was like in tears in the kitchen. No one saw this, but I am like learning how to flip my first eggs ever. I just decided, you know what? I'm going to take over this kitchen because I see a lot of things that can be fixed so again, it's like jumping into your, mm-hmm. you know, every department. So I just jumped in and I said, you know what, we can fix this. I am going to fix recipes. We are going to get this streamlined um, in, a, in a functional system in the kitchen. Cause that was the one thing that was still missing at the property. Um, and we knew like, you know, we had on our sign, it was fine dining, but we went to like, we're really good food. I just want to be really good, consistent food. Um, And so that's how I knew what to do. I knew flavors and tastes. And I, I had this writing experience and tasting all over the world. And so I just sort of brought everything together. And then I brought the basics of baking and said, we're going to make our desserts better. Like no more dry cake. And I always (laughs) preach to other people, please do not serve dry cake. Um, And we just, I don't know. I just did it. I don't, there's not this like formula or like I knew I just, it was like, you have to do this, and after the first day of crying, I got over it, and I <laughs> and I learned, and I hired great cooks, I and 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 great sous chefs. So <laughs> I can't take all the credit, but like I hired good people, but I just said I'm taking control. I'm the executive chef. This is what we're doing, and so there we were. Um,
0: <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but that, did it. I don't either. That's <laughs> wild to me. When you guys sold Snowbird to Indigo Road last year you embarked on a new path as a hospitality coach can you talk a little bit about what that means and what types of projects or what types of work you do
1: yeah absolutely so i like to think that i started this new new genre in in what like a consultant is right um a, Total, like nobody's heard of this. Like, what is this hospitality coach? And I, I take it back to when I first um, joined Snowbird with my spouse. Like, I said, I have all these ideas, and he was like, "Oh my god, hold on, hold on, you are not, no, no, no. This is how I operate. This is what we do. We are not, we're not doing anything." And I said, "Just let me do one thing, mm-hmm. and let me do one more thing." And so I kind of like learned through that process that people can get stuck in their own way. And so I said, just let me like baby you through this a little bit. <laughs> um, but, and that was for him. Cause he, you know, obviously a man and he was like, this is this, don't, don't change what I know. And, um, we made so many significant and insignificant changes that resulted in such big things for the property that when I said, I'm going to be a hospitality coach, I literally am that like mentor that says, look we're going to, we're going to go through every aspect of your business, your needs, your wants, your desires, your goals, and also your challenges. And like, what's holding you back because that might just be like a personal mindset that has nothing to do with the business. So like we'd kind of dive into everything with the business, but also like your personal stuff that is holding you back or taking you too far. Cause sometimes you're like, overly like, I want to do this. So I work with I work with owners and operators, um, of, of independent properties that, you know, have flexibility to do their own thing. Um, and we, we, we do what their dreams are. And some people's dreams are like, Hey, we just, we want to get this sold. Give me the steps to do this and, and sell it or gotcha. give me the steps to like make more revenue or give me the steps to just like overhaul the look and feel of this
0: place. Because you work with independent hotels, I know you have your finger on the pulse of trends. I want to talk about a few of them, maybe starting with micro boutiques and motor lodges, both of which fascinate me.
1: Yeah, I think these are fascinating topics um, because I think that when we talk about what's trending in boutique, you think about all of these chains, right? And I nothing against chains. It's just that I choose to work with independents. They've they've all taken these 250 room hotels and now they are boutique properties, which when you think about boutique, you at first you're not thinking about 250, 500 room properties, right? And so when I was in New York, I was at a couple conferences in June of 2023, and everyone's talking about like, okay, boutique and independent, it's the next big thing, but obviously banks don't want to raise capital for this. And so how can you be different and how can you draw outside money away from banks to come in. And this is where the term, like for me, micro boutique comes in because micro boutique is under 50 rooms. Most of the time right now, you're you're seeing people go, we want less than 30 rooms properties. We want to be so exclusive and so unique. And that transforms into these motor lodges. Everywhere you go is about an experience. And I think these smaller properties offer such a uniqueness that they can't get anywhere else. And I think that is where the trend is going. Um, And I think we're going to see it for the next few years.
0: I wonder about, you know, I always kind of want to go back to the math of it. And I wonder what that looks like on a pro forma, my gut tells me and tell me what you think that if you're going to go that small, you have to be will willing to hold that asset for a lot longer of a period of time to make it work out. Does that ring true to you? I, I'm, I'm not trying to make us, you know, do like a full uh, P&L here on this episode. Right. I'm just curious what you think.
1: Yeah, it does. It does ring. It does ring true to me. Right. So I think you have to hold it longer. I don't, and I also think that when you have a smaller property, you have to look at other revenue opportunities because while this is a trend, heads and beds are not going to actually make you all that financial gain that you're looking for. Um, And then I think you're, you're seeing independence by several of these properties so, several less than 30 rooms because they're looking at like they want to have a portfolio oh, of either dang. motor lodges or micro boutique because that in the long term is going to make them more money. And it also, if they want to sell it, they're going to have a portfolio to sell um, to somebody else. And so, I think there's so much that goes into it, but
0: yes. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned experiences and obviously boutique hotels tend to lean on experiences much more intensely than other types. I think particularly things like chefs tasting dinners or wine tastings, wine dinners, things like that. So this is a long question, so be cool. But the movie The Menu... The fact that Noma closed, which is like, you know, or is closing, I guess, the most famous, best restaurant, fine dining restaurant in Copenhagen. And even to some extent, The Bear, that TV show, The Bear, which I'm obsessed with and love. All of that together makes me feel like there's this move right now away from fine dining. Maybe not completely that it's going away or or out of style, but that we're undergoing a big transformation or transition right now about that. I talked about this a little bit in episode 71 as well. So all of that to say, what do you think about the state of fine dining right now? What's your take?
1: <laughs> I love this question because there's there's like so much to talk about with food, but I do have to start with I don't believe food has been at the same level since the pandemic. Um, and and for me, I think that's part of this overall shift. I don't want to be disappointed when I go out, and I know for me that's what's happening. I'm going out, and I'm you know going to fine dining experiences, and I'm going. Uh, oh, it was just it's just okay, and it and it feels a a little bit more stuffy. Um, and so I think there's like a relaxation of what that dining experience wants to be for people. Um, and I think there's also this, this shift in mindset of like, you know what, I don't want to eat that much, but I want to go out and have like apps with my friends. And so, and there's been articles recently in San Francisco where people are readjusting at Michelin star restaurants, they're readjusting their menus because they want to make They want to make it more approachable. So I think that everything right now is, is trying to be more approachable, more attainable and more sustainable for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and not everyone is saying, you know what, we're going to go ahead and spend all of this money on fine dining. And I think it comes back to this concept of just like really good food. Um, but I know, and I know you're a foodie too. I know you love food too, but I think this is like the perfect moment for this like shift and shakeup um, in the dining industry
0: as you've been talking i was thinking about also the idea what you said about feeling disappointed with certain experiences and i've definitely felt like that too i don't know that i put my finger on the fact that things have just not bounced back completely from the pandemic but it seems obvious right supply chain mm-hmm. issues staffing issues all you know all of the above but i think there's also on the other side of the scale an expectations issue where if you don't go anywhere for 18 months at all, leave your house. Every dime you spend, you want to be blown away. Like you're only going to do this many little things. It's not the same cadence as before, if that makes sense. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, I, you know, I'm, I know people have talked about this a lot and I don't want fine dining or like, I don't want food that is surprising and delightful and clever and even intellectual, you know what I mean? I don't want all that stuff to go away. But to your point, I also don't want to spend $1,400 and eat 14 courses. That's done for me.
1: Yes. I, I, I agree. Um, you know, like there's like that blow your mind through Michelin star three star, you know, food experience, which is fabulous but it's so much um and i just think that there's a there's a place for that and i think that you're going to have that beautiful fine dining experience um but i also think that after the pandemic i think we all sort of said you know what we don't want to be so like stuffy and we just sort of like we just want to have fun and we deserve to have fun and we deserve to have an experience and we just want to enjoy ourselves and i think it all comes back to everybody just wants to just like leave with like a happy face and a, you know, a full belly and just be happy.
0: <laughs> That's the answer. We have to put the fun back in fine dining. <laughs> That's the yes. key. Yes. <laughs> this sounds like a good time to remind you that Cherish Tours is planning a bunch of once in a lifetime trips, including a Nordic getaway that includes three countries, a glamping trip to an out of the way spot in Utah and a safari in Tanzania. Cherish trips are designed for women of all ages and walks of life to have transformative adventures without the hassle of planning or traveling alone. One of the coolest parts about traveling with Cherish is that the excursions, the lodging, the meals, are all arranged with local women in business so you get an experience that is far more unique than a generic package tour what i liked most of all was hanging with the other women on the trip it was so gratifying to realize that we could have a blast together despite the fact that we came from very different backgrounds and perspectives So if you want to have an experience like this, it's very easy to get started. The trip deposit is $500 and Cherish Tours offers payment plans to help you save up. Visit Cherish Tours to get all of the details. And just for Top Floor listeners, you can use the promo code TOPFLOOR to get $100 off. That's gocherishtours.com, promo code TOPFLOOR. Okay, back to the show. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some practical, specific tips and tricks that they can try either in their businesses or their personal lives or both. So, as a hospitality coach to independent hoteliers, what are a couple of the most common mistakes you see people make?
1: So, I think number one is like getting out of their own way. So sometimes they, they don't want to like trust an employee, um, and employee feedback. So that's, that's always like converse with your employees. They actually have great ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then technology, they're so worried about upgrading technology, which it's an expense. It is definitely, you know, um, it's an investment, but the need for upgraded technology in a lot of independent hotels is really big. Um, and you need it. Like you want to be on the top of your game and technology is one of the best ways to do it. So I, I always think like, just kind of get out of your own way, take a step back and take another like 30,000 foot overview and go pretend it's somebody else's property for a minute. Um, and just take a look that way.
0: You are just shy of obsessed with flying. I read some of your (laughs) your blog posts and past articles, and it was very clear to me that you are an aviation queen. You even have your own phrase for it called cloud surfing, which I love. What are your best suggestions for getting a great deal on airfare?
1: So, um, I always fly this or I try to fly the same airline. I do have to say this up front, but I do have a great suggestion because when you're searching for your uh, airfare, you want to go obviously go on Google or whatever place you use and do do your search and see what comes up and then go directly to the airline. Um, Because if you go directly to the airline, you're often going to save some money. Um, on your airfare and always search and book on a desktop and i say this because i have seen i have seen prices on my mobile apps that are two to four hundred dollars more on mobile and i'm guessing that's my convenience fee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because oh,
1: I always have wow, a and, that's so yeah. crazy. So always, always book your airfare on a desktop. And I do not know why, but it has happened several times. And so I'll search on my phone, and I'll be like, okay, when I get back to my office, I'll I'll look on, you know, I'll look on my desktop and see if I see the same fare. Sometimes it's the same fare, but there are times I've seen it two hundred or four hundred dollars higher because I'm searching with my convenience and my fingertips.
0: <laughs> It must be something like only someone who's desperate is going to buy a plane ticket on a phone, which is so wild. Like, of course not. It's wild. Ah, wild. That is a really good tip. I love that. Okay. We've reached the fortune telling portion of the show. So now you have to predict the future and wave your magic wand (laughs) and then we'll see how successful you were. What is one prediction in general that you have about the future of hotels? Yeah,
1: so um th- this is exciting for me, right? I, I love thinking about like what's coming. Um I think there are a few things that are coming. And there like there's actually a couple of things I'd like to see. So I'm gonna kind of bring this all into this answer. Um number one is uh, for sure enhanced technology is coming to the hotel space because we are one of the industries that are lacking, right? And we're all like, we need this. So we need enhanced technology. We're gonna see increased experience overall throughout hotel portfolios, whether independent or not. And we're going to see design elements change and like use of space change, you know? So, so many people were like for a long time, like you had to have a a corporate center and some of that stuff has kind of gone away. And so I think you're going to see design space change, um, so that, hotels can make more money. Let's just be honest. Like that's what it's going to be. Um, and then you're going to see personalization. And this for me is more than just like, Hey, a handwritten note card. When you check in, like I'm thinking about mini bars and mini bars have taken the shift and it changed for probably the last 10 years, but I think we're going to see more personalization come within mini bars. Um, I think like, like, I don't know if you know what dose is, but like there's, it's all over Instagram. And dose is like the shot for your liver, right? It's supposed to make you feel really good. And it's, it's, it's natural. And so like we actually had a conversation with a chef friend of mine about this. And so what if before your stay, you could be like, I definitely want a green smoothie in my mini bar. And I want to have, I I definitely want some vodka. I definitely want like a dose because then I don't feel bad about having my champagne or vodka at night. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of, I feel like there's going to be this like personalization within the room. That's, that's beyond expectation a little bit.
0: I love that and I especially love beyond the handwritten note. Like would I love to see every you know service based business put some handwritten notes in people's hands. Absolutely I love it. But that that's not all it takes. Like that's not the beginning and end of personalizing a stay or making an emotional impact on a traveler. So yes, totally agree. And now I have to go look up dose. Okay. If you could wave (laughs) a magic wand, what is one thing you would change about the process of flying?
1: Mm, So if I could wave a magic wand, I would like sprinkle kindness over every single person walking through an airport or like walking on an airplane or being on an airplane. Um, it's it's stressful. Like flying is, it's not the same either, right? I mean, I love flying. I've loved it since I was 10 years old and it's not the same. And I feel like there's so much agitation um, with everybody and there there are kind people. So I'm not saying that, but I just wish that like everyone could just be like, you know what, we're all on this flight together. It's not just about me and I'm not gonna hit you with my bag when I'm <laughs> down the aisle or whatever. So, I mean, honestly, if there's one thing that I could just be like, please let's everybody just like, let's be kind. And let's like, have like
0: a little happy chill pill and take a flight. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I could not agree more. Here's something that would help with that. If they made a hard rule and announced it at the beginning of every flight that the middle seat person gets both armrests, period, the (laughs) end. That would solve so much drama. What is next for you and what's next for your company?
1: Well, um... I think there's a lot in the works, you know, there's, um, obviously there's a lot of speaking things that are coming up, um, and at six different conferences in the next few months. Um, and I, um, I launched an app in February and we've kind of done an overhaul of the app and now it's, it's 100% annual subscription, um, which it gives people access to classes right away, um, that can help them, um, that maybe, you know, aren't ready for like coaching or a
0: consultant or something like that. Excellent. What's the name of the app? I want to make sure we link it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It is called Hospitality Concierge.
0: Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, folks, before we tell Mandy goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Mandy, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock?
1: All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my days at Snowbird and we are going to, you know, when you walk into the office or the front desk and your staff is like ghost white, you're like, okay, something has happened. What, what is going on? And so like, when they're like, Hey, we can't talk at the front desk. We got to talk over here. I'm like, okay. And the first one is going to be that, um, we had this young couple. Okay. They're like first trip together breaking the ice, like, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, but this is their first getaway. They check into the lodge, they check into a room and uh, this is like the worst. But uh, obviously somebody didn't oversee housekeeping that day. They found a used condom in their <gasps> bedside table. Oh no. And like, I'm, I am mortified and going, okay, how, I wasn't on site that day. So how did this get missed? checks the, the check system was not done so you know of course you have to like go and reprimand staff but first you have to make sure that the guest is actually okay you know and it's a young couple like i said they're it's like their first getaway ever together and you're like oh no i'm so sorry and like at that point whether do you do comp their stay probably yes so uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and we made we made it through but like that is like one of like It was mortifying. I was like, I don't know how this even happens. I don't even know how you explain it, how you apologize for it, but that's definitely one. Well, the Um, fact
0: of the matter is (laughs) that has happened at literally every single hotel in the literal world. So yes. it happens. <laughs> it's gross, but it happens. And right. travelers should just know that they are not the first and nor will they be the last.
1: Exactly. But it's one of those things where you're like, I wish I could take it back. Yes. But of course it happens because I think the funniest thing I've ever heard is someone go, you know, that like, people go to hotels to have sex, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Okay. (laughs) Hello. Yeah, Yeah. So anyway, that, that actually happened. Um, and, but we made it through. Um, and we also, we, I think we talked about this. We had, um, we had a, What we, what we would always say was his name was Elmer and we were going to create a cocktail named Elmer on ice because Elmer was our uh, resident ghost. So Robert and I, we were the 11th owners of Snowbird Mountain Lodge. um, And one of the previous owners, I didn't look it up. So I, they were the seventh or the eighth owner. And anyway, it was a husband and wife. And during the season, the husband passed away. And the wife is like, basically, I have a lodge to run. And this is inconvenient for me. <laughs> no, I mean, she couldn't do much about it. But she she had to she had to run. So um, obviously, you know, they came and picked up Elmer, and they took him down to the morgue in Murphy, North Carolina. And he sat on ice for two months. Oh, while she my finished, God, while she finished the season at the lodge and like kept seeing the guests and doing her thing. And then After that was all done, of course, there'll be a funeral service. That's
0: so crazy. So Elmer came back to maybe let her know that that was the wrong decision or just to hang out? I I don't know. Maybe I actually think that he
1: loved the lodge so much that I think that he just like, that's his, that's his spot. He was not, he was, he was not ever leaving. And so maybe that's why naturally it happened. It was a natural cause like why he he passed away, but like naturally he was just like, this is where I'm meant to be. And this is the place I love. So Elmer, I think Elmer lives on and you know, I wish that I would have made the cocktail Elmer on ice. It would have been a great story. That's so funny.
0: (laughs) What do you think what you would put
1: inside, put in the drink? Oh, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I would put on because I think I would have to go back and like really know his history. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure it'd be whiskey something. Um, cause you know, I, my guess is that he was a whiskey drinker.
0: Maybe so. whiskey with like ghost pepper infused simple syrup. <laughs> <something> like <laughs> yeah. So gross, that but be- awesome. Oh yeah, it's so funny. Oh Oh. my gosh. (laughs) Mandy Murray, thank you so much for riding up to the top floor. I know that our listeners got a ton of great ideas from you and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 102. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. After you leave us a five-star review, you can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen.
1: Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.